Our Old Testament reading today is from Genesis 3, verses 17 to 24. In this passage, uh, the Lord has already warned Adam and Eve that uh, they shouldn't eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, and the day that they eat it, they will surely die. In chapter 3, they have, in fact, disobeyed that command and eaten that fruit. And after having pronounced um, aspects of the curse uh, towards the serpent and towards the woman, in verse 17, he comes to the man. And to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread, till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken. For you are dust, and to dust you shall return. The man called his wife's name Eve, because she was the mother of all living. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins, and clothed them. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now, lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore, the Lord God sent him out from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man and at the east of the garden of Eden, he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. With that flaming sword, the barred way to the tree of life in mind, let's turn now to Romans chapter 5. It's 5, not 15, as the bulletin says there. Romans 5. We're going to read verses 12 through 21. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned, for sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of of the one who was to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin, For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more 
Will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. You may be seated. I'd like you to try something. Use your imaginations this morning. This may be a little difficult, but I'd like you to try to imagine up behind me, to my right over here, your left, my left, your right over here, two banners. Two banners here. And up on this side, the banner has at the top the words, In Adam. In Adam. And underneath, there are three words that say, Sin, Condemnation, and death. In Adam, sin, condemnation, and death. Over here, this other banner, the top it says, in Christ. The in Christ banner. And under the words, in Christ, you see the words, righteousness, justification, and life. Righteousness, justification, and life. Now, those two banners, those two banners represent two ways of relating to God. Actually, they're the only two ways of relating to God. The whole human race is sorted into these two groups, in Adam, in Christ. Every one of us is living our lives under one of those banners or the other. So the big question this morning for each of us is, am I living under the in Adam banner or under the in Christ banner? Am I an in Adam man or woman, or boy, or girl, or am I an in-Christ man, an in-Christ woman, an in-Christ boy or girl? Am I going through life relating to God in Adam or in Christ? Now, I might have lost you already. You may be thinking, okay, I see the banners, but what does it mean? What What do all those theological words mean, all that jargon. This is kind of hard to understand. That's fair enough. That's why there's the rest of the sermon. Um, Yeah, so what I'm trying to do here at the outset is to give you this big picture, kind of like a road map. I know I said banners, not maps. I'm mixing my metaphors, but still uh, trying another one if the banners aren't working for you. uh, I want to give you this road map for this passage that we're about to go through. Um, and, And by the way, I want to 
just acknowledge uh, John Murray, really helpful in, in laying out these these kind of two two columns or two banners. Um, but like any map, um, it's going to make a lot more sense as we actually drive along the road. You can look at the map and be like, okay, I see the map, but actually driving the road and seeing the sites and the landscape and everything hopefully will open up these ideas and help us understand them and take them to heart and, and see ourselves in these truths. <clears throat> there are going to be three uh, legs to the road trip. Okay, So verses 12 to 14, first leg is the reign of death. The reign of death. Verses 15 to 17, the free gift. And verses 18 to 21, the second Adam. Okay, so the reign of death, the free gift, and the second Adam. Now, from the very beginning, um, we're going to be able to tell this is, this is not going to be like a trip on the interstate where you get on the on-ramp and you go you know, basically a straight line for you know, 500 miles and then go take an exit. Um, we're not going to be going straight from point A to point B. Um, these are going to be more like windy back roads a little bit. This is the back roads version as we follow Paul's train of thought. Paul's train of thought doesn't run in a straight line in this passage. You, you should think of this as almost, um, almost conversational in the way that he's writing. Usually when we write like an essay or something, you're taught to write in school, you write everything in a very logical order, a very linear way, point A, point B, point C. That's the way I preach my sermons, point one, point two, point three. Um, but when we're talking with one another, we often will jump around a little bit more, right? Um, you might interrupt yourself. You might start one train of thought and say, well, wait a second, to understand, let me, to understand that, let me back up and explain something else. Uh, sometimes that's the way that Paul writes. Remember that this is a letter. It's not an essay. It's not an academic paper. And so sometimes Paul's letters can have that conversational kind of impromptu feel to them. And I mention this because it really helps to understand what's happening in the first couple verses here. In verse 12, Paul starts a train of thought, but he doesn't finish it right away. Um, He interrupts himself. Verse 12 introduces the main theme of this section, this great contrast between Adam and Christ as these two heads of the human race. It's okay if you don't understand that, we're going to get to it. Um, So, therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned, You'd expect the next thing to be, so also, there was another man who led to a different set of consequences. But um, instead of finishing that sentence with, so also, he doesn't do that right away. He realizes, well, wait, first a second, I I need to um, explain this business about death coming into the world through Adam's sin. So we kind of are stuck on the just as. We're going to get to the so also later on. But for now, let's camp out on the reign of death through the sin of Adam. Back when I preached on the book of Genesis, uh, near the beginning of that series, I think I told you about the old um, New England primer. It was this, uh, this small book that was used in the 18th century to teach uh, colonial children how to read in colonial America. And it's pretty neat if you ever get a chance to look it up, because in the section where it teaches kids their ABCs, it doesn't say big A, little A, you know, Aunt Annie's alligator, A, 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 like Dr. Seuss. 
Uh, instead, right off the bat, the letter A stands for Adam, and the little rhyme it gives is, in Adam's fall, we sinned all. In Adam's fall, we sinned all. In other words, when Adam sinned, we all sinned. When Adam sinned, we all sinned. <laughs> I love that when they were teaching their kids their ABCs, they were also teaching them the ABCs of the Christian faith, because this really is where it starts, at the very beginning, a very good place to start, like Maria von Trapp. And so the, the New England primer was reflecting the teaching of Romans 5, among other places in the New Testament. It's reflecting this idea that Adam was not just a kind of average Joe. Adam was not this everyman, just like everybody else. He was not, what people today will often try to say, this um, symbolic, metaphorical man representing humanity in this kind of mythical context. No. Adam was a unique, one-of-a-kind, special person who had a unique one-of-a-kind, special place in the history of the world, standing at the head of the entire human race as the first man and the ancestor of all human beings who would come after him. Adam was, in a very important sense, representing the whole human race through his life and actions. Adam represented the whole human race. So we use different words for this. Sometimes we will call him, I've already used this word, the head of humanity. The head. So why do we use that word? Well, think about what head means. What your head does, you do. Right? Your whole body is affected by what your head does. You can't say, oh, my head went to the grocery store, but my body stayed home. No, I went to the grocery store. Um, you can't say, oh, I went to the grocery store in my mind. Yeah, my head, my head. No. If your head goes somewhere without you, that's usually a bad thing, right? It's not very healthy. You die if your head goes somewhere without you. Um, so that your, your, what your head does, your whole body does, right? Adam stood at, uh, and yet, of course, your head directs your whole body's actions, right? It's your head that does the thinking and that makes the choices that lead what your whole body's going to do. Um, and if something happens to your head, your whole body is impacted. Okay, so Adam stood at the head of the whole human race. We are vitally connected to him, okay? And so that means that Adam had this special responsibility. He had the responsibility to act on behalf of all of us, to represent us. Um, and you think about how did one person represent another. We have analogies for that in daily life. A lawyer can represent his client. An ambassador can represent his entire country. So it's like what the ambassador does the whole country is doing. What Adam did, he did not just as an individual, but as the head of humanity. And it's as though the human race embodied in Adam, the human race was making the choice. Is humanity going to live in obedience to God and in harmony with him in peace and love and obedience? Or is humanity going to rebel 
with all the disastrous consequences that come from that rebellion by ignoring God's word and breaking his law. And of course, you know what Adam did. He chose not to listen. He chose to do what he wanted to do instead of what God had said. And what we have to understand here is that when he did that, Adam was not just sinning as an individual, as just a private person. He was sinning as the first man, capital F, capital M. Because at that time, he and Eve were the entire human race. The entire human race was wrapped up in that couple and uh, that man's leadership. And what that means is that, as the Shorter Catechism phrases it really well, all mankind sinned in him and fell with him in his first transgression. Or, as that primer put it, in Adam's fall, we sinned all. Now, I know, right away, all kinds of objections start to come to people's minds. And if this is unfamiliar territory to you, then maybe they come to your mind as well. Think, wait, how can that be possible? How is that fair? That's that fairness question, especially for us Americans who are very individualistic. It's hard for us to think in these, these group terms of somebody else acting in a way that I'm responsible for. And this decision of this one guy thousands of years ago would count for me, and I'd be held responsible for the way that he messed up. How is that fair? And we're going to uh, get to that a little bit more later on. Um, but actually, the objection that Paul answers first is a little different. The reason he interrupts himself in verse 13 is uh, for, to answer a different, um, more narrow objection. Paul knows that some people, especially from a Jewish background, are going to be wondering, how could people be sinners before the law of Moses? How could people be sinners before the law of Moses was given? There are these centuries in between Adam and Mount Sinai. How could people sin before the law was given? See, the law of God acts like um, a line in the sand. It's like God is drawing a line in the sand. And when the Bible uses the word transgression, transgression literally means to go across. Transgression is when we see that line in the sand and we say, I'm going to step across it. Going across the line of God's law. But what if that line in the sand hasn't been drawn? How can, how can people be sinners how could people be sinners before Moses came and drew those lines for us like we read earlier in the Ten Commandments? Well, there are a couple answers to that. First of all, just because the line isn't there in the sand doesn't mean that we don't have line-crossing hearts, the kind of heart that would cross the line as soon as it was drawn. See, God's law doesn't make us sinners. It simply shows us how sinful we are. We have line-crossing hearts, whether we are aware of where the lines are drawn or not. Secondly, we can remember from Romans 2, excuse me, we can remember from Romans 2 that the law of God is written on our hearts. So we have some awareness of what God's, re- God's law requires, whether we see it in writing or not. But more to Paul's point here in chapter 5, Paul's point here is that even before Moses drew those lines in the sand at Mount Sinai in the Ten Commandments, Adam had already crossed the decisive line in a way that counts for all of us. 
Sin was in the world because Adam crossed the line, and that's why people didn't start dying only after Mount Sinai, only after the Ten Commandments were given. Even from Adam to Moses, death reigned. Death reigned from Adam to Moses. Through Adam's sin, the whole human race became a sinful race, both guilty in Adam and also prone to sin, corrupt in Adam. Sin came into the world through one man and death through sin. Death spread to all men because all sinned. So remember that progression we put up here on this banner, the in Adam banner, sin leading to condemnation, leading to death. Sin, condemnation, death. That's the trajectory Paul is drawing here for us in Adam. A lot has been written about those last three words in verse 12, because all sinned. Uh, Some people assume that it means that we all sin just like Adam did, that we imitate his bad choice. Uh, Adam did it first, and then we all make the same bad decision. Um, In context, though, Paul seems to be saying something quite different from that. Remember, Adam was our head. He was our representative. What he did counted for all of us. When Adam sinned, we sinned. In Adam's fall, we sinned all. That's the point he's making. But, verse 15 begins. Isn't that how so many of the most glorious passages in the Bible begin? Sin, condemnation, death, disaster, despair, all these horrible things. But there's a contrast coming. We saw this already in chapter 3, right? I keep harping on that one verse from chapter 3. But now the righteousness of God has been revealed or manifested apart from the law. So far, Paul has been camping out on the In Adam banner, right? Imagine it as a, a black banner, a banner of sin and condemnation and death. But in verse 15, he unfurls that other banner, the banner of the free gift, the In Christ banner. But the free gift is not like the trespass. He says it's not like the trespass. He's just said that Adam was a type of the one who was to come. In other words, there's a comparison. There's an analogy between Christ and Jesus. There's a reason we're comparing these two banners. They're they're parallel with one another. Adam was a type, a a picture, is what that means, of the one to come. Like a typewriter puts the impression of that um, letter on the page. Adam was like that. He was was like a, a picture of the coming one. Jesus. And yet, for all of those similarities, all of those parallels, the free gift is also not like the trespass. For if many died through the one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. For many. So remember that, uh, we talked about the progression of sin leading to condemnation, condemnation leading to death, not just for Adam, but for all of us. Paul teaches in this next section that the Lord Jesus reverses all three of those tragedies that Adam introduced into the world. 
And so instead of Adam's sin, Jesus perfectly obeyed righteousness. Instead of the condemnation that came through Adam's sin, Jesus' righteousness leads to justification, that truthful declaration of God when he looks at us and he says, you are righteous, you are right in the sight of God, not because of what you've done, but because of what Jesus did. And so instead of the death, then, that we deserve on the bottom of the banner, Jesus offers the free gift of life to people who don't deserve it. You see, Jesus has become a new head of a new humanity. And if you struggle with that idea that Adam could represent you, that you could be responsible, guilty because of what he did, well, remember, this is the flip side of that coin. The grace of God in Christ that you can receive the benefit and the blessing of what Jesus did for you as your head, as your representative, so that what he did counted for you in an even better and grander way uh, than what Adam did. It's important for us to understand Paul's point here in saying the free gift is not like the trespass. He's trying to show us that what Adam did and what Jesus did, for all their parallels, they are not equal. They are not equal. Think about this. In math, um, there's the idea of an absolute value. An absolute value. Some of you kids have gotten to this. Some of you haven't in your math. If you imagine a number line, though, and you have all the positive numbers going this direction and all the negative numbers going this direction, so one, negative one, right? One, two, three, negative one, two, three. Well, the number 10 over here and the number negative 10 over here they have the same absolute value. They're the same distance from zero. You could say negative 10 is just as big as positive 10, or the same distance from zero. And so people, some people might think, well, what Adam did and what Jesus did have basically the same absolute value. What Adam did was bad, negative 10, and what Jesus did was good, positive 10. Same absolute value value. They're just opposites, you know, kind of like the yin and the yang, the light, the dark side and the light side, perfectly balanced, right? That might be George Lucas's view of the universe, view of some other false religions, but thanks be to God, that is not the gospel, That is not the gospel. Paul's burden in this passage is to show us that Jesus' goodness is far, far and away better and grander and more mighty and powerful than any of the evil that Adam ever did or introduced into the world. That Jesus raises us far higher then Adam sank us low. Think about the, the Mariana Trench. It's really, really challenger deep. Mind-bogglingly deep. Miles under the ocean surface. Far deeper than the surface of Mount Everest is tall. A lot deeper than the height of Mount Everest. But that depth of challenger deep 
pales in comparison to the distance, even to the nearest of the stars. Think about these scales that just boggle our mind. If Adam's sin sank the human race down to the ocean floor, Christ's obedience has lifted his people far higher than Adam sank us down. And that's why the free gift is not like the trespass. Yeah, the judgment following just one trespass brought condemnation. And that was bad. That was really bad what Adam did. But now you think about what Jesus did. Think about what Jesus overcame. Billions of trespasses. Zillions of sins by zillions of sinners. That's what Jesus had to deal with. To take an innocent humanity and plunge it into sin. For Adam, that was easy. That was as easy as plucking a piece of fruit off of a tree and taking a bite. But for Jesus... To take that sinful humanity that Adam had ruined and to lift us back up and to bring us all the way to glory to make us children of God. That was hard for the understatement of of the year so far. And it cost Jesus his very life in the process. The life of the holy, obedient, and righteous Son of God And so the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. And so you see, if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ, that second Adam The second Adam, yes, but not an equal Adam with the first. So much greater, so much better, and more mighty than the first Adam ever was. Think about the hymn that says, Grace, grace, God's grace that can pardon and cleanse within. Grace, grace, God's grace, grace that is greater than all. All our sin, grace that is greater than all our sin. Jesus' work is not just the flip side of the coin of Adam's sin. What Jesus did is far better than what Adam did was bad. The forgiveness, the righteousness, and the life that Jesus gives are far more powerful than the sin and the condemnation and the death of Adam. And therefore, verse 18... Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. Where sin increased, and and yes, Paul acknowledges sin did increase when Moses gave the law. When Moses drew all of those lines in the sand, the, the Ten Commandments and so on, and many other laws, That gave us many more opportunities to stick our toes across. Stick Oh, oh, that line too, and that line. One line after another. Oh, more opportunities for us to step over these boundaries that God has drawn. So sin increased when the law came, no doubt. But where sin increased, Paul says, grace abounded all the more. Grace that was greater than our sin. So that as sin reigned in death, 
grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So earlier I asked you to picture those two banners. And you probably pictured them, I prompted you to, the same size. But uh, now I want you to look over here again, and that's in Adam banner with sin and condemnation and death. Shrink it down. Sin, condemnation, and death in Adam. That banner over here, in Christ's banner with his righteousness, his justification, and his life. White with Jesus' purity and written in red with the letters of Jesus' blood. You can imagine that banner covering the whole back of the church. Bigger and better than the sin of Adam. Grace reigning and leading us to eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And so now, I want to put that question to you again. Which banner is flying over you? Under which banner are you living your life? In Adam, still stuck in sin and under God's condemnation, which is going to lead to death for you, not just at the end of your earthly life, but a whole eternity of death and separation from God? Or are you holding out your hand and receiving from God this free gift that Jesus is offering to give you, this free gift of forgiveness and life, righteousness, justification, life in Christ, just free for the taking. Not because you deserve it, not because of anything you've done, but because of everything that your mighty Savior, Jesus, has done for you. That is what we need, and there's no hope without it. So please don't let that gift, that free gift, pass you by. Okay, let's pray. Our Father and our God, we are so thankful that you did not leave us in that sin and misery that Adam introduced into the world, but you have given us something greater and more powerful, even than that guilt and corruption, which has all human race in its grip apart from Christ. But Lord, in Christ, you are giving us his righteousness, leading to true justification and to life that will never end, an abundant life with you. And we ask that you would please, through the Holy Spirit, open each of our hearts to receive in faith that free gift of grace that is greater than all our sin. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.